The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised. podcast i am the wolf (laughs) (laughs) and i am the bull i guess we're we're doing we're doing it this way okay why not and i'm beowulf Oh my God! We we Mine's can't. A we just excited. can't get it right. Like it, it, it you is. You get it right. That it, was it awesome. Is, it is the. It is literally the bane of our existence. You and I can talk so show. much bullshit for as long as possible. Talk about but bullshit. we can't get the intro I'm right. It's the hilarious. Only one to talk bullshit. Oh. We can talk wolf shit. Yeah, we can bail talk. shit over there. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm not sure what that means. Right. Yeah. Welcome back. It's episode 77. Uh, If you're watching this on Thursday or Friday, that means you've probably seen the Christmas episode with us and the Strange Brew Boys. If you haven't, you should go watch that. Uh, But yeah, we're kind of like an estranged family member. You just haven't seen us for weeks or months. And we just pop back in right around the holidays to everyone's dismay. Do you realize this episode is episode 77? Two prime numbers right now. Oh my in god. Oh my god. I, We're getting into numerology you know this what? early. I started. I started. I, I will go to drink <laughs> until the end of the year. Until the end of the year. And then we'll sing Old Angsine. And I will never bring it up again until I feel like it. <laughs> never ending joke. I'll only bring it up again when I feel like it. That's right. So, so, uh, Wolf and Bull Crew, where have we been? What have we been doing? How is everyone? Three questions in one, like the Trinity. Wow. You first, Oof. Bull. Me? Yeah, I haven't where have been you anywhere. Been? I've been. Working my ass off at home, mm. watching my field, right. tending my, I was going to say flock, but my herd. Oh, you pastor? <laughs> no, my herd. Gotcha. My herd. Yeah. Very tending good. my herd, okay. doing my thing, nice. running roughshod through some china shops. Okay. Which a we may talk about later. Shop. Very nice. Don't, don't. That was good. That was really good. I like that one. That, try, that deserves you know. uh, some applause. Yeah. Uh, it's a good one. Every once in a while he gets those, we award him with applause, and then uh, he goes back into... He goes back into my hibernation in, into the pet or let's put the lotion on the skin. Was, I was going to say, who was that? Was that Sean get, Connery or who the, the Buffalo Bill? Again. I know who's supposed yeah, to be. But. I, I was Sean Connery morphing into Buffalo Bill. <laughs> what a nightmare <laughs> that would be. So, Beowulf, have you been on vacation? Yeah, essentially. Basically, yeah. last night was the first night sleeping in my own bed in about two weeks, which was wonderful. Yeah. Except this morning, I woke up in a panic thinking that I wasn't in my own bed mm. and I realized, no, my time zones are just all messed up. So, yeah, all I spend know, the day in sweatpants, basically. All I know is when we're done with this, there is a specific treat awaiting this bowl Oh, at home. I know exactly what this One is. One of perhaps oh. the best type of pie ever created by human imagination. The cherry apple crumble. Mm, you're welcome. From, from Julian, California. 
Yeah, we were just on mom's a, pie. Is crapple crumble? That's how they refer to it. We we just spent uh, the last twenty four hours tooling around in a blizzard. Yeah, in uh, Southern California. Southern California. Climate change is real. Bringing you on East Coast, you're laughing at us. Wolf and I were on a mission because we love Julian pies. And Julian, California, for those who don't know, is a wonderful little town in San Diego County, but it's up on the mountains. And there was quite the storm that rolled through the past couple of days, mm. and we were driving through it. We. In a, we as in me. you. You braved it And all. I sat there as the passenger princess, as what, they're called. What, uh, what might have been put in this Yosemite cup? Oh, well, there is some Pete's coffee from a K-cup, mm. uh, brewed by... Whatever manufacturer makes that, not me. <laughs> um, with some peppermint mocha cream and a little bit of spiced rum, Sailor Jerry's. Spiced rum. You made that on the fly? Yeah. Wow. Is it good? Yeah, it's it's quite oh, tasty. You like it? It tastes yeah, like the holidays. I kind of like it. That's why I did the spiced yeah. rum in it. So you said you need a little kick. Yeah, right? well, that's nice. That's very nice. Well, it, on the topic of the holidays, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you want to say to everyone listening. Obviously, it's going to come out beforehand, but I thought I would just get it in just in case because I am a Christmas boy. We could um, sing carols for about an hour. No, we're no? not going to. No, we won't do that. Uh, before we get started, just a quick reminder for our listeners, if you like what you hear and like what you see, then you can find a lot of our content on Instagram and on the Chinese Communist Party's not communist platform, TikTok, uh, and at the Wolf and Bull in those, on both those platforms and on YouTube at the Wolf and Bull podcast. Both of those things are normally updated every week, unless I'm on vacation and then Which I don't have awesome. any internet. And yeah, so that's not an excuse. That's just a, a fact. But uh, yeah, so uh, I think we could jump into In the, the well, show. The better ratings we get on all these platforms, the better our score wow. we will have. Wow, that's a great transition. Yes, it is. I'll go ahead and turn on the moody music now. Progressivism is a political movement that purports to advance the human condition through social reform based on the advancements in science, technology, economic development, and social organization. I would guess most people would relate to that definition in a positive way because of its all-encompassing nature. Why wouldn't we want advancement in all areas of society? Progressivism is unlimited in its ideas, which I'd like to think, for many, is the reason for their attraction. Unlimited in ideas, but is it potentially limited in foresight? Human beings are predictable creatures, and we have a tendency to be unpredictable in emotion which can muddy the waters of positive progress. Progress is also subjective, which limits our ability to accurately determine causation and effect with 100% certainty. Despite my tenor, that's not a criticism, it's just merely an observation. America's 21st century progression has led to unrelenting advancements in almost all areas. Those of us born before the 1990s probably struggle to recognize the country we live in. Even I, as a young millennial-boomer hybrid, sometimes see the ghosts of what America used to be before 9-11, before social media, and before 2020. Despite the social upheaval and political turmoil, America will persevere and it will advance. But the progress that many of us desire so strongly, especially in our monotonous march towards utopia, may result in some undesirable consequences. One of those consequences is the social credit score, something already implemented quite effectively in China. You may say, who cares? Why bother? It doesn't matter and won't affect me. You might have a point, and so I'll make a point in opposition to yours. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. 
The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Nobel Peace Prize winner and author of Night, Ellie Wiesel probably would align with my position in opposition to indifference. That's why we're discussing the coming plague of social credit, because it will affect you, it will affect me, in ways that are probably mostly undesirable. And that is the end of our episode because I this is going to be a drop one. the freaking mic on that one. Maybe. I, I'm going to cry now. I, <laughs> ah! Have you read you, Night by Ellie Wiesel? No. I don't know, Santa. No. It's in my gift you? list. I have. I have read it. Mm. It's uh, quite the you, book. You're going to have to broaden that did. out and tell us a little bit about it in a moment or two. Yeah. But I, I would I would like to just interject one thing. That That whole paragraph on indifference at the end was really really powerful and in something that should not be overlooked anybody listening or watching this thing thinks we're going off on some conspiratorial tangent of some kind no not not happening uh this yeah. is right in your face and if you're not paying attention it paying attention to it then you're too close to the mirror yeah see uh, during my research for our viewers and listeners on this one yeah that was kind of the the hard uh pill to swallow i know this is all christmasy i know we got lights and the stuff and there's a little santa behind beowulf over there i i know this is christmasy no there is but but this <laughs> is he is a badass santa but this is like a a, a very um it it unfortunately is already in mo in motion um and i don't mean that the end of the world's gonna happen it's not and the world's not gonna happen we're not gonna be overrun by artificial intelligence unless we, yes, we uh, are Actually, we probably will be, um, especially with that newest app that we talked about on vacation. Dear God Almighty! Oh yeah, um, yeah. But uh, it, uh, it it's just an well, interesting topic. It really the, is. The question really becomes: Is are we part of the program, or are we part of collateral damage? Mm -hmm. Because you know, all these subjects we talk about over the course of the last month or so, it seems like all kind of ride into on the same rail. And the, there's this this group, this progressive cabal if you will that that wants i use that term very loosely it's used all the time probably too much cabal is actually one of the red flag terms that the uh, social credit score will be watching out for oh i said probably. the ball the giant the ball. avalanche oh, the snowball yeah, rolling gotcha. down the hill gotcha. where you got to watch out and say oh there's a social uh, credit i'm not cabal. working this out right i wanted to say cuh oh. but i don't you know that's well back to your point i got you off the track cuh, there cuh, a cable Cable, cable, cable ball, cable, cable ball. Cable. Now we're mumbling. Anyway, <laughs> mumble, 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 mumble. Any, in my my whole point is is that you know if you're not you know if you're not on the bus with everybody else, you got to question what you really are. And so there's it's it's like there's you know a lot of times I talk about the world being gray and there's a lot of gray and there's but I think there's always things that you can look at and, and say no right wrong right. And what's happening now is there's this line being created by a lot of these movements that puts people on one side or the other of that. It doesn't create a big middle lane. The middle lane is perhaps maybe a better way to visualize it is the middle lane is shrinking more and more and more. And it's like you're being forced to take positions that you don't want to take because of outside circumstances dictating that to you, saying if you do this this way, you will have these benefits or not have these, you know, consequences, mm -hmm. poor consequences. And I, I think that's a, you know, we'll dive into this. I'm sure I, I, I noticed there's a pretty hefty 
tree there yeah we have paper yeah here. it's about half a half an oak um <laughs> but yeah it, it we it, there's definitely lots to talk about before we jump into social credit though i do because i know that my monologue was cautionary but i assure you it was 100 percent cautionary that was not metaphor it was cautionary um i think it's best to understand exactly how social credit will come to affect us and i think one of the best ways to do that because my bias unfortunately is not fact uh is to explain um obviously the predecessors to social credit uh and one of them is our current credit credit system now let me preface this social credit and the current credit system with the united states are not the same they're not but 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 they are quite similar in a lot of ways. Um, but I think before we dive into the weeds, we should definitely talk about credit, lay the groundwork of what that is, discuss how it came about, and uh, and bore all of our listeners and viewers to death. It's my um, favorite topic. It is, 100% my favorite topic as well. Now, obviously, credit, there, I'm sure everyone listening and viewing probably is familiar with it. I know I am. I am very familiar with it. I think everyone in this room is. Um Credit is normally seen as an agreement between a lender and a borrower. Credit can also refer to an individual's or business's credit worthiness or credit history. That's per Investopedia. Uh, when it comes to accounting, a credit may also decrease assets or increase liabilities as well as decrease expenses or increase revenue. So it's basically a rule that we utilize to determine someone's badassery or unfortunately non-badassery, which there's uh, a word I can't use. Um, <laughs> It's unique in that it allows the borrower, the debtor, to form a social relationship with the creditor, which is the lender. Borrowing often comes with financial risks, and repayment is usually returned by the debtor with to the debtor with interests, lest those aforementioned financial risks become actual consequences. The idea of debt has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, but the idea of credit scores has only been around for a few decades. Actually, surprisingly short, based off of my... Uh, my research. Um, now, the following information comes from badcredit.org. Uh, the first credit bureau-based FICO credit score became commercially available in 1989 through Equifax, which was originally named Beacon. Shortly thereafter, TransUnion and TRW used credit models built by FICO as well. Now, for those listening and viewing, FICO stands for the Fair Isaac Co., uh, which is a scoring model which gives lenders and employers a good idea of how someone, i.e. consumers, Handle money. TransUnion's FICO score was called Empirica, and TRW's was called the TRW slash Fair Isaac Risk Score. TRW, Equifax, and TransUnion were the three big dogs in the industry, they still are, but eventually TRW's credit union was sold and became Experian. Uh, 2006 brought about the Vantage Credit Score, which was created by all three entities together, and unlike FICO, is actually a wholly owned subsidiary of those entities, TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. Now, the two most used credit scoring systems in the United States have only been around for 33 years and 16 years, respectively. Now, credit reporting has been around much longer than credit scores, and Equifax was actually founded in 1899 and in the late 1800s marked the beginning of credit reporting. Originally, credit reporting appealed primarily to commercial lenders and local merchants who needed ways to assess the risk of their prospective customers. Several small local credit reporting agencies were formed across the U.S. to handle the need for risk assessment information. Originally labeled as merchant associations, their data was provided and aggregated by lo local merchants. These merchants associations collected and sold credit information about borrowers from sources called subscribers. Mercantile created an alphanumeric score that aimed to predict the creditworthiness of commercial credit applications. 
Two of the most notable entities at the time, and this is in the early 1900s, were Mercantile Agency, which was later renamed R.G. Dun & Co., which is located in New York, and the Bradstreet Company, which was a competitor. In 1933, these companies combined to form Dun & Bradstreet, a.k.a. DNB, which is a leader in business credit reporting today. Um, and data, actually. They've transitioned a lot. Uh, due to consolidation... Uh, Monopolization. Uh, there are only three major credit reporting agencies now Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. So, again, there are three big dogs and a bunch of nobodies. So Those is, names give me hives. <laughs> they give me cancer. Well, you can't, you can't create a business, DBA, or anything else without basically getting automatically, really, from most entities that will create a, an EIN number for you, a Dun and Bradstreet, a Dun's number. Dun's number. And that. Is really more of a marketing thing today than almost anything else. Oh, totally. Because, yeah, from personal experience, you can you can run a company for years and years and years, and if you're paying and uh, if you're not borrowing, and you're paying regularly to people that aren't associated with large banking companies, so if you have a ton of little vendors and you're paying them over and over and over again, doesn't mean anything because nobody's reporting that. Mm -hmm. So you could have the best pay ratio to vendors in the world in, in, in their terms and everything like that. And it means nothing to your credit score at all, unless you get subscribe to the appropriate agencies that will now say, put all this data in yourself. That's a serious question. Certainly. How is that any different than the mobs that walked around to little stores in the very in New interesting York. that you'd say that it is no different. How is it any different? It it's is not. legalized. Is all it is. Interesting. And a lot of people look at that stuff. And a lot of people. If you, I think it would be great someday, and this would be a good one with the Strange Brew Group as well, because mm. I think they would be heads up, into Strange this. Brew. I'm but, gonna do a little clip of this. And you're gonna have to watch this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the 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 mobs back in the day, right? The, the only way to catch those people were via the IRS, which we could talk about later in this. But that <laughs> might get us. That's a whole different circumstance. The illegal, there's another eighty-seven thousand of them coming your way. The, right? the illegal regulation yeah. system. <laughs> that's a very good acronym for it. And it yeah. look, you know me. I I think regulations are both something that is required to keep parameters around a civilized relationship between uh, uh, business entities. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is these things trickle down to all of us in effect, all of us in ways you don't understand originally because these are for-profit centers. These are for-profit companies done in Bradstreet. Same thing. These are not, they're not doing something out of the goodness of their heart. Originally, these mercantile exchanges, these, these, if you were in a country store, you went into a country store and you lived in a small town in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and you were farming and you needed, you knew that the crops were going to come in great later that year. And you had a history of 15 years of always paying back your, your loans to the bank that's helped you buy the seed or the, the labor to, to, to take care of that stuff then you've got automatic credit because someone, you had an actual relationship, a real relationship with a banker or a, uh, a group in town that supported your farming. That's how you establish credit. And it's the exact same thing we're talking about on a broader sense. It's a risk assessment. It's the same thing insurance companies do with actuarials. So you tell me if I go all the way up to Strawberry as Arthur Morgan and ask for a loan, even though I'm a downright dirty businessman, a criminal, 
they'd give me a loan if I was looking nice enough on paper. You ever, Always. You ever watch? You ever watch? A, Boy. You ever watch uh, the movie <laughs> A Wonderful Life? Yeah. I mean that whole thing about the bank runs and all that stuff, where these interpersonal relationships with local this local city and this local banking entity that gave out all this money to people they knew. And, and part of the story around that was, was how it turned bad because there was the outside interest trying to do something with this town, right? Yeah, see, that's the, and, that's the question I have is how is the system we have today any better than back then? I, I, isn't it technically worse? I mean, I know the options are more plentiful. There are ways but, to manipulate your credit score yes. when we talk well, about if, this. If you, your, your if you know the algorithm, it's just like anything else. If you know the algorithms, you can balance what you do. Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, I need my rent or mortgage to be a certain percentage of my overall actual income. If you have ways to manipulate the amount of income you have through multiple sources of streams of income, then you can manage how many expenses you have against those income streams to balance or bring down or bring up the amount of income you have to make those ratios just right. Because mm-hmm. there is a formula to get to 840 or whatever the top number is. And the reality is your credit score in today's day and age is more important than the actual money that you're bringing to the table most of the but time. See, but see, the interesting part about what, what uh, Wolf is talking about here is there. I have no problem with algorithms. I love de- everybody that knows me at all knows how much I like detail. Probably too much. It's a problem. It is a problem. It's a challenge. It's something I need like pharmaceuticals for and shit, or maybe peyote <laughs> or something. I don't know. Some somewhere <laughs> somehow it's got to change. But but my point is is that if there are if there is a structure and algorithm based around the indifference of who those human beings are. In other words, if they looked around the room and they said, your credit score is this, yours is that one, and mine is this, and there's a few point differentials between them, and all those differentials are based on our buying history. I don't mean what we buy. I mean how frequently we buy, how much money we spend, what ratio that is to our income, then I have no problem with that. Is when you humanize that, when you socialize that, becomes the problem saying, you know what, I just like Bale better than I like the bull. Well, yeah, who wouldn't? But does that mean she gets a better credit score than me? Yeah. Okay, well, we can't really say that out loud, so let's find out some key factors that she does better than the bull. Yeah. Okay, she's younger. She's going to live longer, meaning she has more time to repay and give us more interest. Let's give her a few points bump on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is slippery slope stuff for sure. But it is happening a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it, before we dive into the really nitty gritty aspect, because I, I I read about China's uh, supposed social credit system, and it's very funny because how they how they phrase things, especially on the good old Wikipedia, um, is just hilarious. Because you can tell when someone's like genuinely writing about something, like I don't know, like rocks. This person writing about rocks loves the rocks. He's writing to he or she or they is writing to their heart's content about the rocks but then when you come to something like china specifically for some reason uh and social credit score there's always this uh like it's almost like a superiority type wave like bias of writing it's very strange it's probably written by chat ai maybe the bot it's like the famous bot going around like 10 cent 10 cent write me a wikipedia article on the benefits of a social credit score they said a tiktok guy to go write about it tiktoking and writing uh but yeah so 
and I think I think that's what's kind of interesting to me because I've always been I've had my experiences with credit both when it came to my former occupations and you know in life um, because I'm a human and I have to deal with these rules uh, and I've always thought credit to be almost like a uh, I almost see it as coercive if that makes sense because it, there's no one way to manage finances uh, <laughs> unless of course you look at what FICO tells you to to do and they provide this outlet of consistently taking on more and more debt to your point to get more money um which in the long run if you believe in dave ramsey uh you shouldn't do that and if you didn't have any debt and manage all your money to your point again uh you would have a poor credit score like i remember working uh a long time ago when the wolf was a, a wee pup um i remember working at a very uh a relatively luxurious car dealership. Um, they were on the luxury end of things. And I would consistently have business owners come in who were making six figures a year. Good money. Like middling six figures. And their credit score was absolute crap because they owned a business. Doesn't that seem a little strange? Give mm-hmm. a better credit score to the people who are uh, the pencil pushers, but don't give a good one to the business owners? Well, I, I, honestly, that makes perfect sense, right? Kind of. Because small business owners in particular are doing something that is much more risky mm-hmm. than yeah. somebody getting a W-2 that's got the government backing them and a, maybe a pension or a 401k. Going Making a third the of the amount of money, so, but not so, taking any risk on it. Uh, so I don't even disagree with the fact that there should be risk analysis. And I'm honestly caught in kind of a rock and a hard place with with understanding some, some of the social implications of people's lifestyles if you will and how that because there's plenty of studies out there i couldn't recite them but i'm sure there are plenty of studies out there saying people that do x y and z or spend all their time after midnight at bars are not as credit worthy as i mean i'm being very generalistic Mm -hmm. but that's what actuarial tables are Mm. actuarial tables are taking huge databases and big data is everything today in finding patterns and if one of those patterns is that if you do these things as a human being, it represents less probability of paying your bills in the same way as if somebody is doing these things. Okay, I understand that. But, but the, the problem isn't indicating that. The problem is demand. It's the same thing we talk about with a lot of things today, with the pharmaceutical industry, with the government's pushing of mandates, with regulatory capture. All these kinds of things are not, they're not optional. So the question I have to that, because you did a really good descriptor, is how is that not bias? How is that it not, totally is how bias. is that not discrimination? Well, it's, it's only discrimination if it's, if it's something that can be used for everyone. So if you're a bank in your, let me, let me see if I can unpack this. If you're a bank mm-hmm. and you have all this money, and your, your job is to represent all the people that, that put their money into your safekeeping. Mm-hmm. Your job is to then make money from that. It's not to lose money from that. Mm-hmm. So you, you say to yourself, okay, how do I evaluate the risk of lending that to someone? Whether it be a credit card, a mortgage, whatever it is. You've got to take an analysis of that. Mm-hmm. FICO does that. Experian does that. TRW did that. Dun and Bradstreet numbers do that for businesses. So now there's this layer like we talked about on the last thing of ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Well, those are, those are much more arbitrary and they're much less defined by sheer number. 
You see what I'm saying? They, they bring yeah. into the equation something that's not rock solid. It's not delineated. Well, it's, it's very subjective. Well, it's subjective, but I think at the end of the day, don't they, just to play devil's advocate, don't they technically have to do that now anyway? Because, I mean, you think about it, this is going in a different direction. So I, I, I we'll talk about this in a second, but there's a few different laws that Congress decided to pass um, or push forward when they finally decided to do their jobs um, in the 70s, 90s, uh, and, and late 80s, specifically about credit. My question with all that is to, to play devil's advocate. Now that people, and eventually, whether we like it or not, technology will get us to this point of being able to do mostly whatever we want to when it comes to uh, identifying. I mean, <laughs> transhumanism is going to open a whole lot of cans of worms, and that's why I'm not a big fan of it. Um, not because I don't think it's kind of cool, but I also think like you can't solve problems that don't really have any real answers because they're so complicated. Um, so when it comes to you know discrimination on the credit side of things, like there's boxes, right? And there's traditionalist boxes, okay? Like people who spend money and pay back their bills are a good borrower. People who spend money and sometimes don't pay back their bills or bad borrower. But eventually, because of how technology is going, at least in the tech area of funding companies and fungibleness when it comes to uh, SBF and uh, and uh, what it was not TRX, it's uh, FTX and okay. the fungibility of businesses, eventually they'll have to become oh, like more unfortunately subjective, right? Well, these biases are being covered up by these these odd subjective social implications. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this a second. You, we, we've talked about this in other podcasts where everybody on the planet, it seemed like, everybody but a handful of us wanted to put these black squares on their on their um, social media to indicate they're uh, behind a certain social movement. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had a credit score thing in place at that time, that's a, a plus in your in your box, right? You're checking off a box with putting that on your social media because you're backing something that uh, the subjective, federal government. Oh, sorry, the, the, uh, the subjective, subjective ball cub ball is looking at and say, <laughs> saying this is something we want we think is important. But think about that a second. If if you have a great credit score, if you paid back every bill, I, this bail over here pays bills before she even buys shit sometimes, mm -hmm. okay? It's oh, I know. close to the truth. Oh, I know. And, and I I love it because I feel like, no. I well, after every podcast. Because I was terrible at her age. Well, after every but, podcast, she goes into our, our side guest bedroom and dives into the uh, the very solid floor of gold coins that we have, like Scrooge right. McDuck. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. I just don't like owing anyone anything. That's fair. That's all. Well, and, and that's great. And I understand it's not always possible. Don't don't build me up too much. It's well, I think that it's not completely perfect well, out there I'll, for I'll me. Let you get to your point because I have a point. Well, I think I've, I've kind of moved off the point a little bit anyway, mm -hmm. and I need to guide myself back there because as usual, well, I get distracted and go in a different direction. But but my my point is, is if if a, a, a person like that has a, a wonderful credit score right now based on, on numbers, based on hard facts, okay? There's the hard fact and then there's a ethereal stuff around the edges. And and she went, screw that. I don't believe this this particular movement. I'm not going to back this thing or that thing. Or I'm, I'm, I think that, that this pharmaceutical thing is wrong or I think this is... So you you put up a wall against something and you verbalize that, maybe on your social media. Now a person comes along that's paid half their debt, is almost gone BK maybe, or they have, but they are so socially into it. 
They're backing all the things that the people say they should back, should back. Should those two people have the same ability to borrow? Absolutely not. If your bank is more interested in, um, in being woke, yes. If your bank is more interested in making money, no. Well, well I guess I therein lies the banks issue. banks at their core are interested. I well, mean, I know they say the right things and marketing stuff. What do you think ESG is? The thing we were no, talking about No, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that's a marketing gimmick for most companies. I, as altruistic as... Well, commercials and press conferences and and little side things. Oh, we're donating this much to this cause or whatever. Mean. I also think the bottom line, the solid dotted whatever line you want to call it for every company, including banks, is that they want to make a profit. Well, well the problem, absolutely. Well, let me. I'm I'm sorry, but if if the if the banks or whatever entity is into ESG and spending a certain percentage of budget on that, it doesn't matter if it's all marketing or not. Mm-hmm. A certain percent of that budget. Where is that? Where's that money to do that coming from? Well, I think it's from something else. Exactly. Or from their marketing. But I think the problem, because I agree with you, I don't think a lot of these companies really care. Like, I don't think they really care. I think some of the employees that work there maybe do, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of activism going on, which if we actually look at activism and American activism, they're two different things. But with that being said, um, I don't think the whole companies agree either. But the problem is these social pushes, normally they precede policy. So that's what activate. That's what the problem is, is that the government, because it is such a lumbering oaf, such a lumbering a oaf of bu- bureaucracy, there's a lagging factor to every decision that they make. Because you and I, in real time, if I see something like the black square, you know what I can do? I can Google. I can look to see what that organization is. I can read about the organization in real time if I'm actually intent on learning about what that position is and inform myself and make an educated decision. You know what the government can't do? They can't do that because there's a line of allegiance. There's a line of people that they need to talk to. Now, I'm not against government. I sure am against big government because that means more bureaucracy. It's like what we were discussing um it's like what we were discussing earlier uh, on vacation with one of my family members. They brought up uh, the immigration thing. A lot of people like talking about that, but they miss the point. The federal government is not supposed to be your parent. That is literally antithetical to what America is. And the whole point about, uh, you know, credit score or credit in that matter to the existence of what it is today is technically antithetical. The reason we broke away from England is because we didn't want someone to tell us how to believe things. And now we're okay with people telling us how to spend our money. And you know, what's interesting. Even if they were our parent. Even if you, if the majority of people decided to vote, everybody in the offices that, that all believe that big daddy government should, whether state or federal, should do these things. Guess what happens with a parent? The kids grow up. Mm-hmm. They have to release them into the world to realities that are going to have consequences, good and bad. Well, I guess... The it, problem it's it's daddy for life. It's yeah. mama for life. Well, and that's the problem that I see with a lot of this because it's like with uh, major corporations. Uh, what was it? GM in like the mid early two thousands that was like bankrupt, and the government came and bailed the Iacocca. Yeah. So, so my question is, why is it that the government comes and bails people out when they make bad decisions, especially big companies? But then they have this pre formulated. Um, ideology that works in tandem with private equity and private business to tell the populace how to do things when inevitably they will just bail, bail them out with their own money. What's the point of that? Like if, if we're going to play this game of actually getting better, like as a country, if you want, if you want the problems like climate change or immigration to go away, you know, who you shouldn't trust, you shouldn't trust the government with it. You shouldn't. I mean, it's not because they're bad. 
it's because they're bad at doing things. Except, well, and that's why and they're forcing the, the issue. Well, they're forcing the issue through regulation yeah. to require outside companies, private companies, to do their work for them. The question then becomes, are the private companies doing their work for the government or is the government doing the work for the private It's soft nationalization. It's, it's soft nationalization. Well, it's, I don't know how soft it is, but it, it's definitely it, there. The, what I mean by and, soft nationalization is the United States government's not going to come out and say, well, we now own Apple. Yeah. Unlike, you know, another three-lettered entity in the world. Um, it, it's, well, it, it's, it's like looking at energy companies, you know, electric companies, et cetera. You know, we, there's not solar on this roof, but there's solar on my roof. There's solar on a lot of roofs, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I bought my solar, I, I told this story before, bought my solar, did did the analysis on it as I do. And the, the payoff period was about seven years of what I had to pay to buy it. I didn't want to lease it. I bought it. And it, the return on investment was going to be about seven years with the subsidies that the government gave us. Because who, who might have turned down a subsidy if the Taxpayer government Taxpayer money. I, I understand. I understand. I'm part of the problem. No, like I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying no, that's, that's what it is. It's the truth. If, if, you know, I can rail against certain things, but then when you take advantage of those things, you're kind of creating a you're cycle. You're a cog in the machine. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, if we want to but, take that to its logical extent, we all take advantage of the system by pretending that the IRS can legally come and take our money because we owe them something. Like, that, that literally, I mean, that, that, there's there's an endless cycle. Yeah, but if, of, they, if the government can get most of us to be W-2s instead of contractors, guess what happens? They get all their money ahead of time. They can yeah. use it for a full, up to a full year before they give any of it back to you if they decide to give it back to you. Mm -hmm. By the way, everyone, get ready for a surprise or two in the next year or so. Because anything you thought you are going to get back is going to be a lot less. It's going away. Mm -hmm. People have to pay for the shit we're doing. Mm -hmm. And... Well, and you can't trust the government to utilize funds out like they're the worst. Are you but that's my me? that's my point is that that's why I get so frustrated about this because it's like explaining not to say like I think listeners and viewers they're all intelligent I think they can understand and, and conceptualize this because once you actually think about it it makes a whole ton of sense. I brought up the mob for a reason. They would show up, knock on your door with a bat or with a smile, depending on what sequence. Of uh, of what what position they were in the sequence of getting money from you, the government does the same thing. Except now it's a matter of well, we have to give money away to other countries. We can't give it to our own country. We got to give it away to other people, um, and we have to be able to fund all of our occupations. I mean, we I'm the president, vice president, the speaker of the house, or whoever. It doesn't matter what demographic I am, party or whatever. I'm gonna have to get paid for life. Well, I have to ride in my private jet. I have to wear all the uh, most expensive clothes. I mean, I'm a celebrity now. I went to school for econ and was a bartender, but now I'm AOC. Like, I mean, like it's 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 very much a celebrity public official. It's no longer a public official. It's a celebrity. And there's, it, there's always been a popularity contest. It's always but that. Part but of the well, equation. there's a difference between a popularity contest and someone who thinks they're a celebrity. No, I mean, look at well, Donald Trump was a celebrity before Ronald Reagan was a celebrity before he was. I mean, that's that's been going I'm not on saying for it's good. decades I'm and saying decades and decades. That's now. a problem. The problem, though, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, or whoever JFK was basically JFK, a celebrity. Yeah, those people were celebrity prior, right? So, no, my biggest thing is they had that understanding that they were, they were an entity before that. Well, you could it's argue that George Washington become, was a celebrity. It's a problem that when you become a public servant, then you then thus become a celebrity. There is nothing that says in the book of public servitude that you have to have a Twitter account. Well, it's oxymoronic, right? Mm -hmm. It's you, you, if you really want to be a public servant, what are you supposed to do? Serve the public, right? Instead, it's self-serving. Mm -hmm. And and people that watch politicians in general, and this is a general con, because there are tons of people that go into politics for the right reasons. That doesn't mean they stay in for the right reasons. There's no such thing. 
It, it can. Yeah, there is. No. There, there always is. I disagree. That's I, my I hard I think there are Sorry. very passionate people that believe certain things that want to get into a position where they can enact those things. Mm. How they get there is often a problem. What they do once they're there is often a problem. But that doesn't mean they're not human beings. Oh, yeah. I, and I give people way more latitude than maybe I should sometimes. And I think anybody in this, in this room would probably agree with that. But, but the, the ultimate you know, kind of steering this back in a direction, there yeah. are always biases, always have been. But what's ending up happening now with this social credit stuff we'll get into is that biases that are legitimate based on hard fact, whatever those facts are, whether it's socioeconomic or not, I shouldn't say socioeconomic, whether it's economic or not, these hard facts come out. You have had these things happen to you. You have done these things. These things have, you've been part of a, a larger circumstance about the, whatever the case may be, there's a value assigned to you based on hard facts. What's happening now, though, is for reasons that have no semblance of of profit or or revenue are being turned into useful marks on this on this calculation of risk and it has nothing to do with that yeah well i i personally think that we should i i we'll, we'll jump into credit reporting because there is a long history of that it's i'll condense it um but but i think the the problem that i see is the system that we currently have right now doesn't take in um i think it takes in a lot of facts takes a lot of data but i think that data is easily fungible by people who per recent events in other companies, one owned by our Lord and Savior Musk, um, the, the, the people can't separate themselves from their bias. And that includes in these entities. I mean, if a bank looks at you and gets to know you, like your example earlier as a community member, then it's trying to get to know its community and trying to get back into its community. That's what a bank should be doing. Especially that's what they say it's they're able, doing with they're this. They're not, though. They're not. I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, this is a cloud of nonsense. Yeah, it's a, well, it's been a cloud of nonsense for a long time. I mean, like the question I have for this is how in the freaking hell is it that in only 33 years, two entities have unilaterally influenced to such a high degree economic prosperity in the country? Think about that. How? You can't do that by yourself. What Even are you talking about here, the two entities? FICO. And um, Experian, Experian. Well, no, the, the, the TRW. Yeah, yeah. I'll get, I'll get into it because we'll, we'll talk about it. But three entities actually is, is Experian, uh, TransUnion, Equifax. But FICO and then the Vantage Score. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, those two entities, FICO has been around for thirty years, thirty three years, and the Vantage Score has been around for fourteen or sixteen. How have those two entities? blown up onto such a, a high degree of power that they have unilaterally been the most... Because inf- here's the thing. I know banks take into consideration other things. I know they do. But those things they definitely look at. How has that, that, that happened in such a short period of time? That's a really good question. Well, there, there's, there's scores for nations too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about our, our, our international credit rating all the time because there's international banks that fund all this stuff. These, I guess our I, value... Our currency's value only has value against other currencies. Yeah, there's no gold. It's been a long <laughs> there's time. nothing it's tied to anymore, no. right? It's in there's there's a whole other conversation though there. But and they talk about all the time. Oh, if we shut down the government, we're going to lose our our AAA credit score. How in the world do we have a AAA credit score 
in the, on this planet bullying when we owe trillions of dollars bullying. Our deficit no no i, I i've i've well, talked yeah, about actually. this before if that that just tells you how weak the rest of the world is in terms of of that kind of stuff well i think the the, the, the concern because I, br- I brought that point up for a reason because it's it's like the, I think the reason a lot of people, uh, maybe including myself, maybe all of us here, the reason a lot of people's brains broke in the last two years is because a whole ton of shit happened that they thought would never happen. And then they couldn't rationalize the fact that the world and the reality that they live in outside of social media, which doesn't really exist, um, the day it will is going to be an interesting one. Um, outside of all that, the, the, the thin threads pulling and holding everything together are really hard to wrestle with that's like uh it's like the the rea- like when i talk with people about theology in order to be fair for argument's sake there always has to be a possibility that there's nothing always we are a small empty blue planet empty in the grand scheme of things i mean you compare us to ants it's an empty planet so when it comes to all that there's a possibility just like with uh you know and not to get off on a too far of a tangent but with like credit score and stuff like that it, it, <laughs> You look at all the thin threads that hold everything together and you see PayPal coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to investigate uh, white supremacy. Hey, now they took that back. They took it back. But you know, what's funny. I did some research on how many white supremacist crimes have existed in the last, I don't know, 22 years or no, 20 years because they didn't have 2021 or 2022 yet. Can you guess how many happened? How many murders? Dozen. Ninety. Ninety. And 50 of them happened in 2018. So from 2000 to 2016, there was like... 45 it's funny why in the world would you investigate such a small number that's like that's of all murders in 2018 reason we talked about well here's the thing though but here's i get i get that but my point being is this is why i get all up in arms about this stuff because it's like in 2018 there was 15,000 or so murders and you're going to investigate the ones that are made by wackadoodles that everyone the mass predominant amount of society can say are wackadoodles you're going to do that that's 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 like you know it's an entire division of the police department the wackadoodle well apparently we're not going to investigate with police we'll do it with social workers let's get back to credit reporting um because because they're they're effective i I, what were we listening to we were listening to something on uh dr death oh oh yeah they sent a social worker to figure that one out have you well real fast have you bull heard about dr death you should look into it dr chris dunch no it's a new one um, no, it's actually a couple Dr. years Dr. old. No. Well, no, it's actually a couple years old. It was a, it's a podcast oh, called Dr. Yes. Death. I think I remember I think this. there's multiple seasons, but the very first season is all about Chris Dench, who is yes. no longer a doctor. I believe he's in prison because he was tried for basically the maim and murder of several people on his operating table. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he murdered 30 something people. No, I think, he basically maimed them, yes, on the surgery table. And hospital after hospital in the Dallas Fort Worth area of Texas were just passing him along, kicking the can down the road like someone else's problem, someone else's well, problem. Don't report him. Finally, someone reported him and they started investigating. And he was like putting screws into muscle and bone. And it came to find out like all these people knew about it. Well, this is this Social is, workers let's, well, let's not to, let's not dive too far into it because that could be an episode. But but I guess okay. my, I guess my point is that okay. the, the reason <laughs> the reason I because I, I, it would be a good episode. But the reason I want to like talk about that is because there's a, there's a, I brought it up because there's a psychology behind that. It's like so. Wait a second. We're in the medical industry and we're here to protect innocent people from apparently life threatening things 
but we're going to kick the can down the road on a guy who's maiming people's spinal cords? Well, you know the profession that kills more people in the United States than any other profession. I mean, it depends on what time period we're looking at. Uh, this right one, well, oh, well, I mean, you could probably say it's the uh, farm farming, pharmaceutical? No. Medicine. Pharmaceutical. Not a pharmaceutical. pharmaceutical. I'm talking about doctors in hospitals. It's actually the pharmaceutical. I will tell well, you. Yeah, but who's verbatim. prescribing it, right? Yeah. yeah so so, so you can conflate thing. those kind of chicken things. But egg. my whole point is there's more people that die going to doctor's offices and hospitals than any other uh, business entity out there. Yeah. Yeah, they well, not to demonize doctors. I'm not. Well, that's, that's, but that's the but thing. Yeah. No, no. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Because this is something. This is something that people end up doing. I'm not trying to put really available. But this is something that yeah. people end up doing. Yes, we should. Actually, we should grill medical professionals because I, they I should. Didn't say grill. I'm, not, I'm not saying. I'm not You're saying shaking me. that you you did. I'm saying we should be demonizing those who are not doing their jobs. Right. So then people are replacing them who do do their jobs. I agree with that. I said Perhaps simply not to demonize the entire generalize a group no, of people no, no, right. in a profession. It, it's hard when you're doing a podcast like this not to generalize. And, and we do preface a lot of this by, by throwing this out these. Yeah, it's, it is all opinion. There's a lot of generalizations. There's some rationalizations. There's a lot of different things that go on in conversations like this. But they're important because they bring out into the light subjects that people like to keep in the shadows all the time. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I, a lot of times I think people are now kind of trying to hide in plain sight and it's being seen because of something you said earlier wolf you can google something you can look it up you can research it you can do all kinds of things on any subject you can possibly think about yes you're going to run into a lot of echo chambers and biases and things like that and your your job as a human being with a brain is to disseminate those things and come to conclusions using your set of of knowledge and circumstances and in your your guidance of people around you, et cetera. Critical thinking. There you go. How about that? Yeah. Human beings using their brains. How is that? Yeah, well, it's really hard these days. Um, but uh, yeah, let's jump into credit reporting, uh, not to be harping too much on some polarizing topics. Uh, early credit reporting was often unfair, subjective, and inconsistent in its decision making. Uh, this led Congress to pass a federal law called the Fair Credit Reporting Act, uh, referred to as FCRA, in 1970 to discourage unfair credit reporting practices. This led to credit reporting time limits on negative information, the right to dispute inaccurate information on a consumer report, limitations on who has permission or permissible purpose to access your credit reports, the ability to request a free report from a consumer reporting agency once every 12 months, and free credit freezes. Now remember, this is in 1970, so things have changed a little bit. The FCRA regulates what the big three reporting agencies can do with the data they collect from you, while also regulating consumer reporting agencies that buy and sell your information. I'm going to put a big asterisk supposedly around that. Um, now, the FCRA conveniently also defines what a credit score is and mandates their disclosure to consumers if they're denied credit or apply for a mortgage loan. So you do get some information. Now, in 1974, Congress again did their jobs and passed another law called the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, ECOA, with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau described it, and they described the ECOA as a quote-unquote federal civil rights law that serves to protect consumers from lender discrimination. Because of the ECOA, lenders cannot discriminate against you based on any of the following. Religion, race of or color, national origin, sex or gender, marital status, age if you're old enough to sign a contract, 
or receipt of public assistance income. For those of us who don't believe we live in 2022 and that we live in the 1960s, here are some of those uh, consequences and penalties for those who choose to violate the ECOA. Uh, You can be faced with civil liability for actual damages, civil liability for punitive damages, punitive damages that are limited to non-governmental entities. Punitive damages are capped as follows. The lesser of $500,000 or 1% of a creditor's net worth in a class action lawsuit, $10,000 on an individual claim, costs and attorney fees awarded to an aggrieved applicant in a successful private action, equitable and declaratory relief. Additionally, a lender who violated the ECOA may also constitute a violation of other other federal laws. Errors can be made, but must be remedied immediately when any type of error implicating the ECOA is made. That was taken from rtlaw.com. So there are consequences. So when it comes to the argument of discrimination, um, it's a very hard one to make because you have to ignore all that. Yeah. Right. And, and then you have to define those discriminatory acts. Again, back to something I was saying earlier, there are a set of hard rules in facts that determine Mm -hmm. in a algorithm your worthiness to get money or or loans from from banks etc and kind of makes all the sense in the world yeah and getting redlined because you're a certain ethnicity or a certain religion or whatever is nonsense does okay. not happen as much as people claim that it does. Well, it, no, it does. I mean, there were times it happens, when there, but- there's certainly that was time. But what ends up happening a lot of the time when things like that occur is they're done in, in such a punitive regulatory way. And you can go back to the late 90s. I forget the name of the bill. It was something during um, Clinton's administration that he, Dodd, something Dodd. Frank, Frank Dodd, I think it was called. I, I can't remember overall. I think that's the name of the regulation. But it basically, you know, the American dream at the time was to own your own home. Mm-hmm. That was it. And there were a lot of people not able to do so for a whole myriad of reasons. But there was this, there was this belief in this push by part of our government agencies that one of the reasons was there was a lot of discrimination going on by the banks. Mm -hmm. What the banks were doing was profiling people, right? As they should, but they should profile them by numbers, by hard facts. And what they were saying is, hey, you banks, you're profiling uh, minorities in a way that's not getting them the loans they need. Mm -hmm. So we're going to mandate you to give more home loans to minorities. Yeah. Didn't that lead up to some instance that that fucked like all of small America? Again, the world is made up of a whole lot of great ideas that don't you don't understand the consequences of those unless you unless you can move into the future and look back in time and say oh that's what would have happened right or Let's if you make that. the rules and enforce them and well know if, what if the you forecast start, is. if you start making money really easy to get for anybody you increase the risk those banks have for foreclosure right so what the banks did to, to, to stop that from happening in general, and I'm being very general about this, is they bundled those loans. With crappy They, they said, yeah. oh my gosh, Bail, your 850 credit score, your mortgage is going in with the bulls who's a 580. Uh, by the way, none of these numbers are actually true. No. Though I think hers <laughs> might be. Um, so so, so we're going to bundle those two together. We're going we're gonna to throw every shitty score loan that has hard facts against that person, not because of their ethnicity, but because of their economic history. That's what it's supposed to be about. Yep. We're going to throw 25 shitty loans in with 100 good loans and bundle them up and sell them to another entity. Mm-hmm. 
it's going to say, okay, the risk is a little higher because there's some shitty ones in there, but overall we're going to win, right? That's that's what they did. That's that secondary market, that tertiary market. And a bunch of them knew that they weren't going to win, and then they got off because there was a cascading and, and effect. The, and the big short became a really good movie the, that we saw. It was awesome. To, movie, so so I guess movie. I get I guess my my whole thing is I see it more as they knew it was that was exactly going to happen, and they pushed it anyway because it was going to plug more money into the economy that would eventually be recouped by the government, and then they could shut things down and close the door, like I've always talked about, which they've been doing for years now because they're doing the same exact shit today. With the, oh, hey, by the way, if you live in the fifth largest economy in the world, if you can't afford a down payment, just take out a loan for a down payment. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't that make more sense? Double up on your loan. Then you'll be really screwed if the economy takes a shit. Your interest rate is 10%. You want it to be 25%? Take our loan. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world if there's no repercussion for not paying it back. If you're trying to screw the populace. (laughs) It's... It's about moving economy, continuing to grow it. Think about what were the pharmaceuticals aside, the automotive industry, the housing industry Mm. for the last 40 years Mm -hmm. have dominated this country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just dominated. And if you stop doing that, look what happened for two years when they stopped building everything. Holy crap. The, the wood market went out of control. Everything went out of control as far as is the building homes, et cetera. Right. So, I, I mean, the markets have to recover these things. And, and of course, they blew all this money into the market to try to kind of fake the recovery because that's really what they did. Well, they did that and then simultaneously increased interest rates and then inflated the price of things. And as time will go on, the prices will continue to be inflated. So when I, Becky, am making $95,000 a year working at McDonald's because they're paying $35 an hour 15 years from now, I won't be able to afford but a $500 million be, house. But you will be the only one working there because the rest of those artificial intelligence. Artific- exactly. Yeah, so it's, it, it's, it's, I think it's all tied together. But anyway, let's, let's jump. Beowulf, you have something to say? Okay, let's jump into the rest of this. Uh, so for a lender in the United States to use a credit score, it must be both empirically derived and statistically and demonstrably sound. So to your point, I agree with that. Uh, in other words, the ECOA dictates that for a credit scoring system to be considered empirically derived, it must be calculated using sound scientific methods and be periodic, periodically revalidated. Once these laws were passed, things were still not as sound as they could be. So in the late 1980s, a company called the Fair Isaac and Company created a credit scoring algorithm designed to evaluate consumer credit report data through a consistent, automated, and unbiased process, becoming known as the FICO credit score. Part of me doesn't believe it was unbiased, but that's just me. Um, Now, the FICO score's purpose was, and still is, to empirically assess an applicant's credit report data and predict how likely he or she is to pay a credit obligation 90 days late or later within the next 24 months. FICO score ranges from 300 to 850, dear God, uh, and those who tend to pay late score lower on that scale. Applicants with cleaner cleaner credit histories and other positive factors on their credit reports scored higher, indicating less credit risk. In 1993, FICO introduced scores that were used for installment lending, bank card, auto lending, personal finance, small business lending, and mortgage lending. And then, surprise, surprise, in 1995, both Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae hmm, began requiring lenders to use FICO scores on residential mortgage applications. And by the late 1990s, credit reports used for mortgage lending were scored using FICO scores. FICO has used multiple iterations to generate consumer credit scores. Think like Generation 1, Generation 2, or like Apple iPhone 1, 2, 13, 6. Um, And currently, many institutions are using FICO score 8, even though FICO score 9 is out. It's just not being widely used at the moment. 
FICO isn't the only credit score used, supposedly, and most institutions actually use more than one to justify lending decisions. This brings us where we are today and with the potential for a social credit score. You know what uh, FICO's original motto was? I do. Free money, uh, no consequence. Do no evil. No, that was Google's, but sure. No, I'm just saying it was theirs, too. Probably. Yeah, this, do more evil. A, it was a do a more joke. evil. It was a good joke. I liked it. Yeah, it's a good joke. That's a really wiped good joke. Me out right there. Okay. But I will tell you this because you know why they're not using nine yet? Because you know what nine has in it. <laughs> I don't know this for a fact, but I do know from doing a little reading myself on Standard and Poor's, which is more along the business side with ESG and things like we talked about before. But FICO is determining if they will include probable evaluations of property energy rating data for mortgage evaluation. Think about that a second. Let me, let me say that again. Property energy, energy rating data. In other words, if you've done a poor job of handling your electricity in your house, too many refrigerators, do you have a wine cooler? Maybe you turn on the lights too much. Maybe you have a studio with too many lights on. <laughs> maybe you have your, your winter lights up too long, or maybe you're one of those, those houses you drive by and all the lights are still up in June. I don't know. But your rating could be lowered because of your energy usage at the house. You know what the question I have for that is? Why is it an entity that is run by people who, to your point, know how to manipulate their score, making those decisions for us? Why? Why? If it's not a government branch. How is it? How? Same well, reason does, why they... If you guys, does PepsiCo, come into your, does, does PepsiCo come into my house and... Evaluate whether or not my beverages are owned by their subsidiary if, and the parent company. If Pepsi spends more money than Coke on getting the social credit score people to determine that they like Pepsi more than Coke, then they'll get a higher rating. Yeah, but the difference... It, I'm joking again, I know. but my point is the same. It's who, where is this stuff going? You're, you're, asking, you're asking the logical question. The problem is there is no logic with this. Is there... Look, you got to ask yourself that. There's not. What at is all. what? You got to peel back the onion and ask why are people putting these things into position? Is it to make better evaluations of all three of us in the room and determine who gets a hundred dollars lent to them? No, because that's what it's supposed to be about. No, it's it's about it's about who, something else. It's well, it, it, per the good old Wikipedia uh, in the CCP, uh, which is similar to USA. Just there's different letters. Um, it, it, it they're all about trust. Well. The, their culture can't trust each other. So in order to forcibly create trust, we're going to forcibly push these rules down on everyone by a power base in order for them to trust each other because they have to play by the rules lest they do not show trust to us. Well, I think this is a game, a future game, not a present game. That's what I think it is. I, and this is this is all formulated in my head probably three seconds ago. But It's a good I, game. I, I think what, they're, what a lot of this is trying to do is it's trying to manage um, variability. It's trying to manage variability. And when you can control whatever it is in front of you in different means, when you can create a funnel, circumstances in which um, there's a fence on either side of the population, and you can narrow that to an acceptable probability of certain things happening, you've created a, a, a population that you can forecast what's going to happen with them how they're going to react to these things because you haven't allowed them the quote unquote freedom to become and do everything outside those fences. 
So if you can push people, if you can give them their Chinese QR codes, which is happening, and you can say, if it's red, you can't fly anywhere. And if it's green, I think you can take out more money from your ATM than you could the other day. They did that in Africa the other day. Just the other day, I read an article about them them um, doing like they did at Wonderful Life. We're going to say, hey, you can, don't, don't run on the bank. Only $25 at a time. $25 at a time for the good of all. Well, hold on here. That's my money in the bank, right? No, it's not. Do you know if you put your money in the bank, it's not yours anymore? You lended it. <laughs> yeah. And what did they give you in return? A nice little receipt. IOU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's only good up to what it's insured for. Yep. And you know what insurance company, you know what happens to an insurance company when cataclysm occurs? They lowball you. They go out of business. Or they lowball you. Why do you, you. think I, ne- I never once bought earthquake insurance in California when we lived there? Not because I didn't I know what earthquakes are like. I've been through a ton of them. And some pretty decent sized ones. But you know what happens if the big one hits? The bank will go with it. The insurance companies are gone. Yep. They're not going to pay know, out anything. What's funny is the first time I ever really realized that in this how do I tell a story without sounding like a privileged little brat? Probably just going to do it anyway. Use a British accent. So I was talking with daddy. Right. Yeah. Well, literally, actually. So I, go ahead. So when I was younger, I did some commercial work, print work, stuff like that. Some modeling, nothing you could probably find on the internet. Thank God. Like, Albertson's commercials and Jimbery ads and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, so I had a Coogan account, which for those who don't know, is a legal entity that children under the age of 18 obviously have to have so that money that they make isn't so their funneled away. So their parents don't so spend their parents all their money. <laughs> look into Judy Garland, Shirley Temple, all those people, and you'll see what I mean. Coogan accounts are good. Anyway. When I turned 18, I wanted to collect on that Coogan account money and went to the bank with my dad and said, we're here to open that account and we're going to funnel it into my regular checking account. And they looked at us like what they were, they were freaked out how much money is in this Coogan account because it could have been hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. And they don't have that kind of money to just give you because this was a different bank i was taking it out completely in cash the good news for the bank <laughs> and for my conscience as i tell this story was it was not only a 10 huge million amount of money. it was only 10 million dollars. <laughs> it was not that much money it was enough to where they were able to cash it out and it wasn't well, I, a problem I've but they to, looked at they were like we need to make sure that we can actually do this today sort of thing well i've i've gone to banks before and i've asked for significant amounts of money on the business side of things and I've been told we don't have that much on hand. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't realize that really before. Anything I thought was a giant amount. Well, they either. just haven't printed enough. Well, <laughs> exactly. and you also have to think it partially Can probably we pay has you to in do pennies. <laughs> right. Well, it probably also has to do with, you know, having security risks and stuff like that and what's available. It's just the, no, it's, you walk it's in, the you, reason it's the yeah. reason there's a trip at the Wall Street. Yeah. So that they can, so they don't have a 1929 crash again. Yeah. Right. Well, well you know, I could just imagine you walking in and be like, "Yeah, I'd like to take out $250,000." And they're like, "Bro, do we even have that much money in the bank right now?" Then? <laughs> uh, Steve. Hey, Steve. Yeah, do we have $250,000 in the bank? Uh, we're the largest bank in Southern California. We don't have that much money. Yeah, sorry, sir. We don't have that much money. You're going to have to come oh back next God. week. Oh my God. You sound <laughs> you sound just like 
the little freaking pigeon from Stork. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that was the point. That I was the point. I don't like me now. A pigeon toady, dude. Toady. Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> you see the game last night? <laughs> Hold it. There was no game last night. <laughs> For anyone who stupid, hasn't seen Stork. Such a stupid oh, movie. That is a uh, freaking awesome new movie. And such a stupid you know what? So you should love it more than anybody because you could turn into a wolf bridge. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. Yeah, I liked that part of the movie. I know people are going, what? what are yeah, it, it flew under the radar. <laughs> um, you know, this, this stuff has been going on yeah. in experimental ways for years and years and years. I remember during the Obama administration, there was a something called choke point. This was a what? actual something that occurred. It was an administrative thing. Yeah, that was choke, the name. Choke point. Choke that was point. the name. Yes, that was the name of the whatever he called it they at the time. And what it was, Focus was group that it one. was specifically going to the, the big banks. You know, they always have these big bank meetings at the White House. All the big banks, too big to fail. Hey, you're going to take this bailout whether you want it or not well, i just love when the federal Which, reserve goes like jackson hill or jackson hill jackson yes, hole for uh, their meetings they're like yes. let's we all smell each other's farts and raise the interest go rates to again. jackson okay, hole go ahead, to I'm the sorry. ski resort to yeah. discuss our meeting <laughs> that's probably where they figured out choke point i bet they did in go the ahead forests of northern california with Alex Jones. Of, uh, yep. what, what do i always say um, a circle of jerks male stale and pale Right, they, they, that's, that's supposedly. Love the, how mine just kind of. Yeah, I know. I got it. I just <laughs> left alone. I don't want to talk. I don't want to say choke point too many times. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, choke yeah. point. Choke point. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. Anyway, the whole the whole point behind that choke choking um, was <laughs> that that the the administration at the time was trying to to basically talk to the banks about how they were to to slow down or cut off lending to to gun dealers. That was that was the whole reason behind it. So now you got to ask yourself, well, hold it here. Do they have their insurance? Are they running their product safely? Are they the ones pulling the trigger and killing anybody? No. Well, the question they, I have. They were a, a legitimate business yeah. with legitimate things. And so an outside entity, i.e. the government in this case, is now telling the banks, you know, I really think that, that you should probably slow down or stop lending well, these, it's these it's so well, but bull. It's because they were trying to stop the sale of ammunition, so they had more in well, ammunition for their predator drone strikes. If you can't stop the gun, stop what you. So put there's in the an gun, interesting right? Maybe. thing going on right now in you know America's economy in terms of legislation that kind of coincides with what you're talking about, but more the auto industry because the IRA, not the Irish Republic army <laughs> the inflation, inflation reduction, reduction act, act that they still have renamed i don't know why passed it in august the biden administration the european union is really upset because it gives these huge tax you know these tax breaks to both american consumers and companies automakers like general motors uh ford for building electric vehicles in the U.S. And the EU is upset because they're saying, well, you're basically axing all European cars from the American market. Doesn't matter that it's a sustainable thing that we're all doing, that the EU is pushing in their own ways too. No, it's about... You know what I have to say about that? Who's giving money where? You know what I have to say? I have to say one specific thing. Two bad guys. BMW was founded in World War II by the uh, Third Reich. 
So they can uh, go ahead and take their German cars back to German hell. Okay, that's we what say I say. As German the car German, owners, the German. German. <laughs> yeah, we do have a German car. Yeah, yeah we are uh, great German car. I'm driving. It, it is a great car. Yeah, we, we, honestly, all three of us own German vehicles. <laughs> I may have egg on my yeah. face. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, back to your German car ownership. Um, but yeah, it, it's I. I don't know. It's just it's it just it seems like there's like. Just the people in power, it just seems like they're all like forming to your point, like the wolf, except it's like a wolf of humans, and they're all just chasing their tail with dumb policy. That's what it well, seems it's, like. It's so funny because there's this there's this big discussion around globalism versus nationalism and all this kind of stuff. But you, you know, the, the progressive nature of our current administration is touting all these various things that kind of allude to the fact that we're all one world, you know, open border, blah, 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 blah. You could go on forever about that. Yet what they're doing, to your point, Bale, a second ago, was they're creating circumstances that make it harder and harder and harder for the rest of the world to use our market, our consumer base, which is still the most influential in the world, as its piggy bank. Mm -hmm. It's trying to reshore. It's trying to... I mean, why is there only seven ships in the LA Harbor now versus 107, right? Because they're all sitting in New York. Well, that's part of it. Mm. That's part of it. They've gone around... Which... Uh, you don't want to get me going. Yeah, let's on not. Let's we, we don't need subjects. you to see There's red. certain things that should have been done for yeah. a long time. There's certain things that that perceptually are not as as bad as they seem, and certain things that are a whole lot worse than they seem. And in perceptions, reality, and in that that in in essence is really part of the problem. I think there's this whole concept, especially when it comes to the social credit score thing, around how individuals and groups perceive. The world around them. I personally always perceive that I am part of the world. I am a person that is in this on this planet, in this life, doing things to try to fit into the circumstances around me. Certainly, I try to bend and manipulate. And that's a wrong word. Things that are malleable, I try to manage. Right, and then there are groups that believe that the world is in theirs in their pocket not pocket hands no like they are like, the main like character. that song that Chris, like that you Bible always song. talk about they're the main character of this giant freaking yeah. video game yeah and the whole video game spins around what they want yeah and a lot that's of narcissism freaking wrong and you talk about that all the time with different generations narcissistic behavior just, etc it is so prevalent and then you yeah. throw into it all these all these electronic devices and things that especially for young people i mean young people have all, i don't care before social media during social media after social media up to a certain age it's all about you man it's all about yeah. yourself it's well, trying to figure out your life trying your to your brain's not fully functioning yet you, it's you, not you, fully functioning there's a lot so. of emotions there's chemical imbalance yeah. there's all kinds of shit going on it's not fully formed and so we're feeding into that as if that is the right natural state to be in and we, it is not well the reason we're feeding into it is because we can technically and here's the thing this is something that i i am making a prediction ding ding i don't have any music i'm making a <laughs> prediction i wish i had an echo button um I think the reason why they introduced social media is because there are long-lasting effects in the frontal cortex that keep people stunted emotionally at the point that they were when they first started using social media. That's what I think. I think that's so impactful, watching a screen every single day, that that is the case. I would be, and here's the thing, I don't know if there's any studies about that. There might be, but I sure hope there will be, because I think that that's actually true. 
because it, the, the narcissism epidemic started right around when social media came about. The influencer, I'm the number one, that thing started then. And I, I think it's always been there. I think it's just not been to the same, not I, to the same degree. I, I think people have lost. I, and I got to include myself in this because I'm just as entertained by things as other people. I mean, there are a lot of things that I don't get done in life that I should get done because I'm entertained and, you know, having my downtime, I'm decompressing, I'm streaming this or watching that or going off. And I'm not saying life needs to be this, this serious path of, of no nonsense all the time. That's bullshit too. It's an adventure. It's all over the place. I don't, but we're spending so much time dumbing ourselves down. We're being forced to be dumbed down I think, in ways. I think we're, we're, we're passing ships right now because it's not what I'm talking about. I, I think that because Beowulf and I grew up in a time prior to that existence, we actually had a normal, relatively organic upbringing of, oh, you don't have anything to do? Read a book. Go play a game. Go play a board game. Go outside. Talk to people. Investigate a mysterious circumstance in your brain that you created with your invisible friend. I mean, like, uh, your seven invisible friends. Uh-oh, you're 37. You actually have schizophrenia. Like, I mean, we we went through that. We went through all that phase, and we grew up in that period of time. There is a significant portion of people that never had that. And so my point is, your point of reference is probably even stronger than ours because you had a long period. I mean, like, like AD thirty-two to now. I mean, you've like Methuselah generally like oh, thousands of years of time to not have that. So you see it as like an entertainment facet, whereas people who are younger than you know Beowulf and I see it as their life. And I think that's the difference but because you whether see it, you see it as your life or not, it's entertainment. Yeah, but it's those people but those people don't see it like that. They don't. I'm telling you. Like it how is how can they not? Because that's the how only can any, it's, So it's like using it's, that psychology. It's like something we were talking about earlier. Ben Wolf and I were talking about this earlier today and we we're on your way on our way to your house. We were talking about people who um like specifically today with wanting to, you know, influence things and change the world. There's a big, big generation that wants to change the world. And my argument is the only thing they've ever known is good. So they can't. You can't change the world for the better if all you've known is good. Because Unless you start to think good is bad. But then you're not really changing the world. You're making it worse. Well, you're, you're still you're changing making, it. Well, what I mean by that is you're not, like, you're not changing it for the better. You're changing it for the worst. Oh. So, it's like, it's, so it's like if I sit down and I, if, if all I've ever gotten is opulence and all I've ever experienced is an easy coast and all I ever experienced is like a middle class lifestyle or above. And I never had any hardship outside of maybe getting not good grades or I never had any need for something outside of maybe not getting the toy I wanted on Christmas. I'm going to go into the world thinking that the world is not as good as it really is. I'm not going to have a reference point. And you can't make changes that way. And we have a large subset of society, to your point, that think they're the main character, that think they need to make changes. In reality, they can't really make the world better than it already is. And so you got to ask yourself why people want to make changes. Because they've been told that they should. No, bored as hell. I mean, no, you know, I, it, I, I truly we think talked about this in the told. past. People, people in general, um, now this is, this is probably going way off the, the reservation here, but you, you gotta, there's this, there's this group that needs to create some kind of chaos to feel like they're engaged. And when you, when you can't develop your own sense of self, because your sense of self is developed only by those around you, social media, et cetera, the reflection in whatever odd-shaped mirror is around you, then you have no choice but to try to get outside of your own self. 
And outside of yourself means cause. It means emotion. It means flailing away at changing something, whether it's climate issues, whether it's political issues, whether it's border issues with globalism, nationalism, uh, right, left, doesn't matter. You, 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 you're so disengaged with who you are because your now, your entire being is a reflection of all these things around you. Because you're being told that that's who you are. That's my point. Is it's, it's everybody it's, is told something. Yeah, in their but life. not every. Yeah, but here's the thing. The difference is, you and I are not on social media 24 hours a day. We are not posting like here. You and I post for different reasons. I post specifically because this is a business. I'm being left like, out like, of this conversation. Well, uh, same thing for. But like, here's the thing. It's different for you. I, like you look at my personal account. Get like 10 posts. But I manage all this like wolf and bull social media. I manage, but I do that because it's a business. When it comes to everything else i don't want to be on it you don't want to be on it all the times of day there are people that a large subset i would say in the billions that are young and addicted but that's because they've developed their personas based on that uh, that's what i'm saying because their personas based on that technology are acting like they have no choice that's not what i'm saying i'm saying they're being told to and you're indoctrinating you're inoculating yourself i agree that that there's indoctrination going on i agree that if you if you shine a light in somebody's eyes all the time they're dilated but that's what i'm saying so it's not it's not at this point i don't think it's about choice i think for a lot of people it's about the fact that they don't know that there's an alternative they just don't it's not a matter of like they can't conceptualize it they can say oh my my boomer dad had it before he didn't have internet they could say that they don't know what that means they don't know the benefits to that. So like you and I do, we know what the benefits Here, are. Here's the problem. We, there is more information at your fingertips, at all of our fingertips, than there's ever been in the history of the world. And we are not in the Multiplied top. Multiplied by we're, thousands. We're not in the top 20 of educational systems in the country. Well, they, again, in the, in the world. those are measurements, right? Yeah, but that, that's... And some be, people believe those measurements are good. Some people believe they're bad. I'm not here to argue about that. All I'm saying is that there's this conflict between simpletonism if there's such a word I've just developed, simpletonism, and you, know, you don't have to look that up. <laughs> no, I'm, not I'm, so, I'm checking and, myself. And, I'm, and, I'm self-checking myself. And knowing all this stuff, it's it's like we become the smartest, dumbest people ever in the history of the world, all at the same time. It's not, but, but, and we still all have the choice. We still all have a choice to say yes or no to things all the time. And if you can't identify what it is about yourself that you like and dislike and whatever the case may be, then you'll never break out of this kind of shell. You'll always find something else to bitch about because you can't, it's, it's as simple as put on your own mask first. You talk about that on every airline trip you've ever been on. You put on your own mask first. You've got to save yourself. You can't save anybody before you save yourself. Mm-hmm. If you can't even figure out who you are, how are you going to save the planet? Yeah. I agree with what you're saying because that's the both that's the perspective that we both have. But it's much like my discussion with you about artificial intelligence. There is a point where you and I can't conceptualize that because we haven't been there. I could easily talk to someone in middle class about their experience in middle class cuz I've moved from being really poor to the middle class. I can empathize with that. But I cannot explain to someone who has never been homeless what it's like to be homeless. Because I can explain to them, but they can't, they can't empathize. They can't empathize with me. So that's my point. So when it comes to the choice argument, and this is kind of, we need to get back to the social credit score, but when it comes to the choice argument thing, I think you're correct intuitively and intellectually. I don't think it's applicable though, when it comes to a certain demographic, because it's like speaking a different language. 
But this, it just this is. is the essence of the credit score thing I'm talking about because this perception I'm talking about, the, are you in the world, are you in a larger world as part of it or is the world part of your world? Is everything else part of yours? Is a perception that gives you the different um, uh, definitions of equality versus equity, for instance. That whole concept is where social credit score is but, coming from. But, but, but you get, you get, then you would understand my point. I because, do. Because you, because you and I understand the difference between equality and equity. We understand the difference intellectually. We understand the difference in practice. Most people have been lied to about what it really means, and they've chosen to believe something that sounds really nice to them. Well, th- that's the reason and, and, they believe but, it, because but the it sounds really nice. Because it's been told to them over and 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 over again. If I sit down and if like I consider myself, I would consider my uh, I would consider myself a relatively theologically influenced individual. I don't prescribe to um, a lot of stuff I hear, but I've been involved in uh, Christianity theologically for almost all my life, and I knew people who, because they had no other sense of just that, couldn't relate to the other part of the world because they've indoctrinated themselves so deeply into something. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that their lifestyle's bad. It means there was no relative connection. It was like, like I, I don't know, for, for listeners and viewers, uh, it, it, there's a whole segment of individuals that I knew personally that read the the a very popular uh, Christian book series when I was a, a kid called uh, the Left Behind series, mm-hmm. and thought that that was somehow biblical. Explain that to me, because anybody who's read a fiction book like Harry Potter, probably or any, two preachers wrote it, and because but here but, but here's the thing the definite that still wouldn't explain it because it's it's a fiction book. But but well, you get let's my point? back up a second here, okay? Why do you think there's all these different doctrines and different churches and, you know, all these, all the different, there's a whole, uh, that's a whole nother podcast. You no, shouldn't ask what, me that question. what it is, is interpretation. Mm. Sure it is. That's why I think, look, that's what they if say I is. write something today, if I write a poem, okay, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, so if I write a poem today mm-hmm. or a limerick in 200 years from now, it's, it's red a millions and millions and millions of times by millions and millions and millions of people, mm-hmm. billions of people. A hundred years from now, that poem will mean fifty different things. A hundred, a and thousand there, and then, different things. And then there's a reason today to your question because you ask why it's interpretation. There's a reason today why there is a large subset of Christian churches that are non-denominational. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between interpretation and manipulation. And I think there's a large and now they here's go a, hand in hand. Well, often they're definitionally confused, often. or they're interpreted so, a certain way for yeah, biased so, reasons. So if if I you have snake oil and you tell me it's medicine and you interpret it as medicine, but I interpret it as snake oil, who's correct? You get my point? Is it's it's a cyclical? But this goes nonsense. This, this goes back to what we're talking. So let's about. dive into it. Let's dive. Let's go back into it because I, I get we need to have an episode on that because it will be a very interesting one. I'm going to talk about the social credit system, okay? Just for our listeners and viewers, we have a few more minutes now, but uh, let's talk about it. So the social credit system, according to Wikipedia, is a national credit rating and blacklist being developed by the government of the People's Republic of China. It calls for the establishment of a record system, 
so that businesses, individuals, and governments, in, government institutions can tra- be tracked and evaluated for trustworthiness, whatever the hell that means. The CCP's national regulatory method is based on blacklisting and whitelisting. Supposedly, this program is very focused on business, business, business. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, the idea that it is focused on individuals and is centralized is a quote-unquote misconception. This is despite the fact that the CCP has made it absolutely clear through their nationalization of most prominent business entities in their country, their rigid anti-freedom laws, and their universally unfair judiciary system, that total dedication and allegiance to the party is required lest you face unprecedented punishment. The origin of the social credit system can be traced back to the early 1990s as part of attempts to develop personal banking and financial credit rating systems in China. Beginning trials in 2009 and launching officially in 2014, the social credit system is managed by the National Development and Reform Commission, NDRC, and People's Bank of China, PBOC, and the Supreme People's Court, SPC. One thing on a side note I think is always very funny is that entities that are normally not very free always have people in their like group names. Like when you say people in like any people's Republic. Yeah. yeah, It's just, it's very funny to me. Um, this system was intended to standardize the credit rating function and perform financial and social assessments for businesses, government institutions, individuals, and non government organizations. Supporters of this system claim that the system helps to regulate social behavior to just stop there, uh, improve the perceived quote unquote trustworthiness of citizens, which includes paying taxes and bills on time and promote traditional Chinese moral values. Critics of the system claim that it oversteps the rule of law and infringes the legal rights of residents and organizations, especially the right to reputation, the right to privacy, as well as personal dignity, and that the system may be a tool for comprehensive government surveillance and for suppression of dissent from the Chinese Communist Party. The Mercator Institute for China Studies, a nonprofit yamen link, uh, think tank with a focus on China, claims that many of these critical observations are due to misconceptions. But lest we remind you of history, we should be skeptical of that particular group. Um, according to the Hill.com, quote unquote, China's, China's social credit system is a combination, combination of government and business surveillance that gives citizens a quote unquote score that can restrict the ability of individuals to take actions such as purchasing plane tickets, acquiring property or taking loans because of behaviors. Supposedly, the social credit system aims to facilitate financial assessment in rural areas where individuals and small business entities often lacked financial documents. Additionally, the system attempts to solve the moral vacuum problem, insufficient market supervision and income inequality generated by the rapid economic and social changes since China's economic reform in 1978. Because of those aforementioned issues, Trust issues emerged in the Chinese society, such as food safety scandals, labor law violation, intellectual property theft, and corruption, which, according to the CCP, necessitated the social credit system to build trust within the community. Long story short, that's what the social credit system is, and that's why we can likely expect it to occur to a soft degree or a hard degree within the United States. You know, I I think that that a lot of this kind of thing in in the direction that these governments want to go is, is... we talked about it before, this narrowing of the fences, this corralling, if you will, of the populace into a a less volatile... Subservient. You can say subservient, or it can just simply be mathematicians going, everything, there's too many pluses and minuses here. We need to, to narrow the direction our future goes toward if we want to survive whatever we're going into. That's kind of the, the background psychology if you will i think of a government looking at this stuff how do you how do you manage a giant population 
Well, you kind of don't. I mean, you know, the, the one of the things that that our society in the United States has done for most of its its years in existence is let market forces dictate a lot of that. So, if if you're able to to create, if you're able to have a position to start to pursue opportunity and happiness, then that's what the government should afford you. Everything after that is your own work, your own stick to the groups you are around, the mob you decide to pay, perhaps. I don't know. But what, what this basically says is we don't trust market forces to do anything except be extremely volatile. Ups and downs all over in a society can't exist for more than a few hundred years doing that. Now, China's existed longer than any civilization on the planet that we know of at this point. And they may not exist for much longer if they allow their population to decline, which see episode number or whatever that was. Um, 60-something. 60-something. Yeah. So Skynet's there. Yeah. That's one of the names they put on this damn thing to begin with, the watch people. Skynet. Just using that should tell you something. Tells you we're in a simulation. Um, now, <laughs> the United States social credit system is going to be an interesting one. In 2017, I mentioned this earlier, PayPal announced that it would crack down on white supremacist accounts, which, according to the mainstream media, over time became known as white extremists, or right-wing extremist accounts. Now, on a side note, I mentioned this data briefly. According to the FBI, white supremacists were responsible for 49 homicides and 26 attacks from the year 2000 to 2016. For the math whizzes out there, that's three homicides a year and 1.6 attacks a year. In 2018, there were a total of 50 murders on behalf of white supremacists, the most since 1995. For context, in 2018, according to FBI.gov, there were 15,498 murders. In 2021, there were 21,570 reported murders. Those 50 murders by white douchebags account for about 0.32% uh, of all murders in 2018, less than half of 1% of all murders. It's nearly impossible to find any statistical number on quote-unquote how many white supremacists exist within America since, often, journalists tend to forego journalistic integrity today and conflate white supremacy with, quote, those who voted for Trump or those I don't like. The numbers I found ranged from the low 3,000 to over 20,000 to over 50 million, since voting indicates an innate desire for supremacy, apparently. Either way, I thought it would be nice to discuss realistic numbers of how many actual white supremacists there are according to FBI data, but surprise, surprise, I was left downtrodden because there is very little data to support any of these allegations on either end except according to homicides, which I think is a pretty good indicator. Now, back to PayPal. When they announced their crackdown on right-wing extremism within their consumer base, PayPal also mentioned they would be partnering with the Southern Poverty oh, Law God. Center, which is an openly left-wing organization, to, quote, investigate the role of, quote, white supremacists and propagators of, quote, anti-government rhetoric. Interesting. I wonder why that matters. Um, subjective labels that potentially could impact a large number of groups or people using their service. PayPal claimed that the information would be shared with other financial firms and politicians. Last I checked, PayPal is not a legal entity. Nor do they have the internal wherewithal to determine what constitutes a white supremacist. Not because they don't have the resources, but because they're run by a bunch of morally bankrupt emus. Facebook also encouraged users in 2021 to snitch on their potentially extremist friends. A prompt from 2021, which were, was reported on by multiple outlets from New York Post to Reuters, showed a few alerts. Here are some of them. Quote, we care about preventing extremism on Facebook. The prompt goes on. Others in your situation have received confidential support. You may have been exposed to harmful extremist content recently. 
Violent groups try to manipulate your anger and disappointment. You can take action now to protect yourself and others. Both of those alerts redirect to a support page. Andy Stone, a representative from Facebook at the time, said in response to those alerts that this test is a part of our larger work to assess ways to provide resources and support to people on Facebook who may have engaged with or were exposed to extremist content or may know someone who is at risk. Apparently, this initiative, not sure of its current impact, uh, but if it's anything like Twitter's election impact, I can guess it's negative, is supposed to help combat violent extremism and dangerous organizations by redirecting hate and violence-related search terms towards resources, educations, and outreach groups, especially the outreach groups from the federal government. Now, this all seems fine and dandy since not many people will defend white supremacists or extremist groups, but my question, along with many others, is this. If there's a line, who draws it? What causes or constitutes a response, and why in the world do private or public businesses, tech or otherwise, think that they can be the morality police? Seeing that a significant portion of left-wing politics is funded by many, almost exclusively, the largest business entities in the country, would it not be completely linear in thinking to guess that fairness and equal policing wouldn't play a role in social initiatives like that? Well, look at the FTX stuff going Mm -hmm. on. FTX was the second largest donor to the Democratic Party during the 2020 election. Was it 2020 election? Or, mm-hmm. um, 2020. Yeah. Although Sam Bankman Freed, Fried, Fried, whatever SDF. his name is, he, he said he said he donated privately to the Republican Party as well, just as much. But he just report it. Yeah. He just I, mean, I mean, he's also a pretty much confirmed liar, so I don't know <laughs> what's true. But publicly, at least, huge funder, which in my opinion is why it seems like some very liberal journalistic media companies seem to be still, regardless of the fact he has been arrested and charged with some of the most extreme fraud charges you can be charged with, seem to still think that he's just a poor guy who he's our generation's Bernie who Nader. accidentally they got, him, got caught up in they got him down stealing Bahamas, six right? billion dollars. Yeah, the, the so the U.S. Pro- said they were going to extradite him. Probably on the island they were going to have that concert on, right? Yeah, exactly. Right after they got back from probably. Jackson Hole, Exumas. Uh, he he uh, he he's like this generation's uh, Bernie Madoff. I mean, that, that's literally at least Bernie Madoff just like admitted well, that he's a well, well. Here's but here's the here's the crook. thing. Here's the thing. What's so funny is I I was I don't know if you remember. You probably remember because I don't know if I, I I was not paying attention to the news at that time because I was living life. Um, I wouldn't guess the mainstream media was blowing Bernie like they're blowing SBF. Were they? SBF. Oh, oh. oh Sam there were definitely right. apologists for a period of time, but you know everybody has to have their scapegoat, and and he made a good one, and he did a lot of crazy yeah. shit. Well, and, I'm just glad that. And, no, but, but I mean, I mean, th- think about. Um, oh gosh, what was the the energy company in Houston? Enron. Enron. Thank you. I mean, th- there's been Ponzi scheme after Ponzi scheme, and they all. If you think about them, if they if you have the ability to add clients forever, they can go on forever, right? The the, the calculation is done that way. The calculation is as long as you have two people going in for every one you're having to pay out, you've got enough money to make this thing happen. I mean, what do you think the biggest Ponzi scheme ever is? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, something we shouldn't even say, right? I mean, I mean, probably if you're not. able to print your own money, come on now. Yeah, probably not. Probably shouldn't say it. Yeah, probably shouldn't say it. You know, the the fact of the matter is, is we should be watching real closely a couple of different things. I think you, if you're, if you're going to watch things, there's a lot of small things you can look at. Uh, There's, there's uh, websites you can go to, to watch what politicians buy, what stock. 
that yeah, I think is huge. If if you can see who's buying what, it'll give you a real indication of what's about ready to go through Congress or the Senate or whatever. That's one of the biggest things to look at. But another thing you should watch is is what do the banks do? What do they do? Take a look at what happened. Hmm, was it? 10 months ago, something like that in Canada, like an experiment mm-hmm. that happened up there when uh, experiment that of, worked, there's a bunch of drivers that, uh, tried to they were protesting, talk about right? something. There, and, isn't that uh, what they were doing is protesting. Yeah, what happened? It disappeared real fast. Well, it, it disappeared, but do you remember how they made it disappear? They froze their bank. They froze accounts. their bank accounts. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it Again, worked. You know why they can do that? Ain't their money. They put it in the bank. It ain't your money. They froze their bank accounts and the argument, which has been perpetuated still just a couple of weeks ago because the Canadian, I don't know what they call it, Congress, Parliament, whatever. Parliament. They're, they're reviewing this action by Justin Trudeau, the... Despot. The, I was going to say president. I don't know the, what they're... Dictator. The love child the dictator. of... Uh, dictator. Okay, well, opinion there. I mean, his legal title is... Is it president? Well, legal titles don't matter uh, if you don't listen. I don't know what uh, no, Canada's... His, how it works. It's Sorry. But they reviewed it, and he stood by it, and he said he did that because it was going to... You know, the, ec- the economy of, of Canada depended well, on the getting these guys out of the Ottawa's roads, right? Right. So, but also, the... Do I need to move away from the microphone? Am I talking no. too loud? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Okay. Uh, sorry. Um, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, feel, I lost what I was saying. It doesn't no, matter. It, 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 they wanted to get them out of the roads in Ottawa, but they also were condemning them as kind of uh, terrorists in a way. Domestic terrorism. Yeah, right. Right? But freezing bank accounts is... I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. To, to, to instantly do that. I mean, and think about this. Bank of America, and this is this this is something you can look up as well. They did data mining for the government to see who had traveled to D.C. during and around a particular date in January of a couple of years ago. Yeah. The We're not going to mention that. that. Yeah. The bank did that. Mm-hmm. And how about General Flynn's bank account with Chase was canceled for reputational reasons. That sounds awful lot like credit score to me, social mm. credit score to me. Yeah. It sounds like I don't like you, so I'm going to do business with you. And you know what? Private entities have a perfect right to do that. They really do. Do they? So sure they do. Do they? Yes. You know why? Private en- private companies, private entities are just like citizens. But they also have to, abide by, they have to abide by the constitutional amendments of this country. That seems very anti-constitutional amendments. No, it's a sign in your door that says mm. I have the right to do mm. business with whoever I feel like. Now, unless you make cakes in Seattle or wherever that Denver or wherever it is, and then you don't that's my, have a that's choice. That's my point. Right? Is it, but, that's that's my point. Is I feel like it's what I think there should ha- what I think should happen is there needs to be another amendment that needs to come down the pipeline. It needs to limit these individuals from making these unilateral decisions. Because here's the problem: we can talk about all the people that look at the data; those people are not listened to. Here's They're the, not here's the problem. It's the same problem we have with what we talked about in the last two years over pharma, big pharma and NIH and a lot of the research that's done and how the scientists out there weren't in in mass going against certain things. It's because where does the you gotta look where the follow the freaking money? Yeah, the banks are, the banks froze business accounts not because they didn't like General Flynn or the people that traveled to Washington D.C. or the truckers up in Ottawa. Had nothing to do with that. They were being told. Mm-hmm. They were being told, unless you want to be regulated out of existence, you do what I tell you to and do. And if they said no, they would have had a large lawsuit Correct. with the Supreme Court in their hands and they would have won. 
I don't know about the certain. Maybe they would. They would have. They would have won. But you have to be willing to do that. They have the money right? to do it. It's do the they? Same. Yes, they do. They have the money. No, to, if, yes, if, no, no they, they if do. FDIC decides, you know what? You know, you've got millions and millions There's of dollars in your possession. You have you have banks all over Canada. Lawyers okay, you have fifty thousand dollars in each of those banks, it. but you have a net worth of several Lawyers billion. Would do it pro bono, and all those billions of dollars are out there. Yeah, you know why they do a pro bono? Because they'd win. <laughs> One of the biggest things we all need is tort reform. Because this is, every single this thing is, we talk this is about. The, is this is this is the thing. Look, what I'm saying is this: America is morally bankrupt. Every institution is morally and ethically bankrupt. We talk about solving climate change, but we willingly, daily, ignore the issues within our country that can easily be changed if policymakers actually made effective policy and if people who actually look to the government stop looking to them and look to their communities. Like, when it comes down to it, I get get your point. Yeah, you don't want to fight the government. Yeah, you know what's funny about all that is the less we do that, the more it gets taken away from us. The less we actually point out problems, like with Dr. Death, the more people die. And every fucking institution, every single one, from medical, which they shouldn't, to scientific, which they shouldn't, to technological, which they shouldn't, is so fucking politicized that they don't care about what it actually matters. If people are dying, if things are unethically happening, if morality is thrown out the window, and a lot of it is thrown out the window for the very argument you gave a second ago. Ah, it's too scary. Not the argument I've given. No, but that's what the argument they hide behind. That's there's too much work. No, the 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 argument isn't that it's too scary. The argument is existence or not. We've talked about this many times. Uh, Where you circle the wagons around what you believe in, what your specific group is about. mm -hmm. Okay, companies do the same thing, right? Now, if they're a public company, that's a whole different story entirely, Mm -hmm. because their value is based on something outside of their own purview. If they're a private company. They may manipulate certain things. They may not. They may go against certain things. They may not. But if you're federally regulated, that means you're a company that's in existence because the governments allow you to be. And the government says, this is what I not only want you to do, but I insist that you do. And you'll here's, here's, the, here's where I'm going with this. You'll be either rewarded for doing it or punished for not. Now... Let's talk about the downstream effect of that. Because you start with companies, and the downstream effect of that is what, what I call fugitive consequences. Fugitive means things that escape, right? So it's one thing to, to put your arms or hands around an entity like a company and say, okay, we don't want you to be too big because it's antitrust. We don't want you to do certain things because it's antithetical to our doctrine as a government. But everything escapes from there because that company is made up of a whole lot of individuals. So how do we control those individuals now? They're the fugitives. They're the emissions that are escaping. We put the same restrictions on them via social credit score. We say, you you got two choices. You can either... Do these things, and we're going to make them nice and tangible. We're, we're going to have a big carrot over here. And if you do things these right, right, you'll be able to take that flight to Europe and see your ancestors over there. No problem. Anytime you want. Matter of fact, we'll give you a discount for doing that because you're a good, solid citizen. China or otherwise. Doesn't matter. And then we have a big stick in this hand saying, 
And if you don't do that, then not only you're not getting on a plane, but you're going to be rationed. Yeah. And that means that America has become the very entity that it's fought so hard to not be. Mm -hmm. Thomas Paine said, give me liberty or give me death. And businesses should be looking at their freedom fiscally as that. Because if someone coercively comes up and says, I don't care if it's, look, I get federal regulation. I get it. Doesn't mean that they should just blindly do things. Because there are plenty of rules within our own military that stop people from committing war crimes. There should be rules within the government to stop the government, as long as last time I checked, which are the Supreme Court and Congress, from committing war crimes and people crimes. In the last two years, last two years, last time I checked, it wasn't legal. You want the people that are making up the rules to police themselves. No, I want the people who vote for those people who make the rules to police them. That's right. what I want. So here's the here's the problem, though. This goes back to, like, the baseline problem with a lot of this stuff politically in this country. If you have a class of citizen that are forever in politics or lobbyists or connected to that whole thing or they've become the, the uh, person in their own show, as you say, the number, uh, the game thing, what the hell is it called again? The main character, right? Main if character. they're the main character of all this, if they're the Truman they're, Show, they're gonna they're gonna make up their rules. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get voted in by manipulating those rules to make the people that are voting them in believe that they're on their side. The only side they're on is their own. That's not everybody. That's the, those are the people that are manipulating this. That ain't gonna change anytime soon. It can. You know what happens? Things get destroyed before they change. Yeah. And that's, that's and that's and that's goes back to my quote in the beginning. Indifference is the cancer of the morally bankrupt. And that's what we're dealing with today. I'm not trying to be preachy, I'm not saying you can't have the things that you like, I'm not saying you can can't watch movies or do certain things. All I'm saying is the problem is people who vote for these individuals, they're indifferent. Wanna know how I know that? Because the very demographic of people who claim to so actively support minorities voted against one that viewed differently the world that they that in the way that they do in California. When Larry Elder ran, people said that he was the black face of white supremacy. Democrats said that. Make it make sense. Because the alternative hasn't made that state any better. It's on the same path it was when we lived there. And the problem that I have with all this is the more people pretend to be virtuous by lying, the more virtuousness and virtue in general disappears. Becomes nothing. It becomes a, a, it's like when people claim everything is racist. You know what happens when you claim everything's racist? Racism becomes indistinguishable from everything. You know, the hard part about a lot of this is the, the two A's. You know, it, it seems like those are the only two available to people. It's either apathy or anger. And it seems like everything in between is getting pushed in either of those two directions. And it, and I sometimes get very angry about a lot of this stuff because you can see pretty clearly what's going on. And then other times I'm like, what the hell? What am I going to do? I'm apathetic about it. There's nothing I can do. And that's the wrong part of the A. Anger's wrong too, I suppose. But the and it, it, it kind of goes back to what we talk about a lot on these podcasts. The reason to talk about this stuff is not just to hear ourselves. It really isn't. 
I love my smooth, sultry voice. Uh, I mean, really, the reason is to to continue to make ourselves and others think. And I like to believe that we're doing it for ourselves first, because as I said earlier, you can't affect any others until you affect yourself. You just can't. It's impossible. Well, let me wrap up with this quick little diatribe that's much like my monologue, but I think is a little bit more poignant. With the recent revelations from Twitter, it seems to me that something like a social credit score would result in coercive unilateral decisions for the betterment of the constituency made on behalf of those who hold the strings and supported by those who prefer their own worldview and bias over fellow citizens' personal agency and freedom. The problem with 2020 and recent moves towards a more quote-unquote policed society on behalf of the federal government, not on behalf of actual police, is that everyone is guilty by proxy. We ignored warnings of future economic failure. We ignored warnings of political abuse of power. We ignored warnings that our personal bias would lead to undesirable outcomes in our society. We ignored opposing positions on what lockdowns would do to business. We ignored opposing views to the popular medical opinion of literally one man, one man responsible, I might add, for the F-ups in the 1980s of the AIDS epidemic. You should look that up. It's quite interesting. The issue that I see with social credit is similar to the issue that I see with popular social virtue initiatives like climate change, artificial intelligence, racism, or economic inequality. Rather than actually providing a viable answer to any of these problems, one that involves compromise on every end, rational debate, and eventual coming together, we continue to entrust solving these issues to people who have proven to be morally, socially, and intellectually bankrupt continuously. Business leaders, political celebrities, because that's what they are now, and the rich and famous. People have already proven to be disconnected from reality purely because the lap of luxury they experience is strictly relegated to the 1% of society in America, which is the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of society in the world. We solve these problems as a community that cares for each other and for the future, not as a disassociated monolith of narcissists who choose apathy over everything else in life. When the social credit system rears its ugly head, which it will, it would be best to resist. That's my opinion. And with that... Unless you guys have anything to say, I'll wrap up. I think you hit it on the head. Yeah. <laughs> That's the there's a death gurgle of freedom. There's a famous quote I wish you would look up right now to end it with, though. Yeah, I think it was Thomas Jefferson. It's the freedom quote. Okay, well, I'm going to wait for my computer awkwardly to boot up because it's in, in sleep mode. <laughs> you don't need to do it. I think that was a perfect ending. Okay, well... That's the end of our two-hour-long discussion on episode 77 of The Wolf and Bull. Thank you for tuning in, Wolf and Bull family. I have the quote. Say the quote. Go ahead. You read it. To preserve the freedom of the human mind and freedom of the press, every spirit should be ready to devote itself to martyrdom. For as long as we may think as we will and speak as we think. Did that make sense? Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) The condition of man will proceed in improvement. Thomas Jefferson, 1799. I'm sorry I butchered that, but that was in great. my brain I had a dyslexic moment and that didn't make sense and I thought yeah. I said it wrong. Well, it was okay. But it was good. Go. It's very nice. Very well done. Um, but yeah, that's the quote and that might be cut out. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking. Just joking. Uh, if you want to see more of our content, you can find us at The Wolf and Bowl on Instagram and on TikTok. And, um, and we actually plan 
on puttingonthewolfandbull.com, a QR code. Okay, no, light up no, green or red is... depending on how many <laughs> stars you give us. We're, no, we won't. Uh, for our viewers, <laughs> if you liked our conversation, a s- subscription, a follow, and a like would be the best way to support us. Uh, hope you have a great day, and we will see you uh, next week. I know Christmas is on a Sunday next week. Is it my not this no weekend but the following weekend the following weekend yeah i'm too i'm getting ahead of myself um so we'll have another episode next week it's probably gonna be kind of sort of christmas ishy related um even though we did like a kind of swap cast i guess or a partnership with the strange brew again on christmas uh crimes which will be coming out tomorrow which will be before it will be wednesday because this is coming on thursday now it's confusing anyway go ahead and subscribe <laughs> uh we will see you guys next week Thanks for listening to the Wolf and Bull podcast with your host, the Wolf and Bull. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all of the latest from the Wolf and Bull, you can tune in via our weekly episodes available on nearly every major listening platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Wolf and Bull. You can follow us on YouTube at the Wolf and Bull podcast and at our website, thewolfandbull.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.